Welcome to the American Society for Human Genetics Trainee Paper Spotlight Podcast, moderated by the Career Development Committee. I'm your co-host, Lucia Hindorf, and along with my co-host, Andrew Marderstein, we'll be interviewing the ASHG member trainees behind the outstanding papers that we feature as part of the Trainee Paper Spotlight. Our goal is to bring the science and the stories behind these papers to you. You can find these papers on the ASHG website at ashg.org by searching for Trainee Paper Spotlight. Interested in being featured on the podcast? Nominate your paper on the website. Today's episode features a paper by Ozon Dekilatosh, published in the American Journal of Human Genetics May 2020 issue. He earned his MD, joined a cardiovascular genomics program at Mayo Clinic, and is about to start his residency. The title of the paper is Predictive Utility of Polygenic Risk Scores for Coronary Heart Disease in Three Major Racial and Ethnic Groups. You'll hear about how Ozon's work addresses an important gap in the literature on polygenic risk scores, or PRS. A PRS is an estimation of an individual's relative risk of developing a disease, based on the total contributions of genetic variants across the human genome, often hundreds of thousands or even millions of variants. PRS are increasingly being studied to improve prediction of who may be at risk for a wide variety of diseases. However, they tend to be several-fold less predictive in diverse populations, specifically non-European populations. You'll hear more about how Ozon's research is targeting this gap. And now, over to my co-host, Andrew. Hello, everyone. This is a Trainee Paper Spotlight, a podcast highlighting trainee members of the American Society of Human Genetics and their outstanding recent papers. I'm your host, Andrew Martyrstein, and we're here today with Dr. Ozan Dekilatash. So, Ozan, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your career path to essentially where you are right now? Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, my background is originally uh, in clinical medicine, so I graduated from med school and then I joined a, uh, a research program at Mayo Clinic in cardiovascular genomics. I've been a postdoc in that lab for about four years, uh, did research in mostly in cardiovascular and lipid genomics, and now I'm transitioning into, uh, uh, into residency in, uh, in internal medicine and, and cardiovascular medicine. Oh, that's great. So can you tell us some of the differences you feel that you've ran into between, say, going to medical school and doing a postdoc and what you're thinking about maybe in terms of starting a residency? That's, that's, that's actually a wonderful question. I, I was thinking about that myself for a while because uh, med I didn't do much research uh, prior to med school and actually during med school either. Uh, so it was a it was a different transition for me to start my postdoc position uh, after medical school. And there are really huge differences because in med school we, we have the knowledge really laid out and a lot of the effort goes into uh, first the learning the theoretical and then translating that into, into uh, really practical skills. Uh, in, in research, it was more of an open book, and you would just you would have the full flexibility to just explore, ask the questions, and apply ideas, get results, and see how you could actually take back to maybe a clinic and how that 
has the contrast between what you've been doing up until now and maybe what you're contributing to that uh, on top of the knowledge and the, and the, all the practical things that, that you did over time. And now it's, it's also interesting to go back to clinic now after having that experience for four years, uh, been in, in exclusive in the research side and how to apply the things that you've been thinking through in, in your research into, into clinic and how that's going to shape. So I'm really excited to start and, and see how things go in, in residency. Yeah. And what brought you to genetics in the first place? Uh, so my family has a lot of early onset uh, heart disease. So that's that. That was the main thing that drew me into both both cardiovascular medicine as well as genetics, based purely based on the fact that you know a lot of the cardiovascular disease is also heritable, and I wanted to explore, uh, you know, the the genetic factors that influence the disease, why it manifests earlier in some individuals and some uh, that you don't see up until really late age. Um, and the lab that I worked in at Mayo Clinic was, was absolutely doing this. Uh, so it was a wonderful opportunity to, to get into that and, and gain those skills and do my own research in that area. Yeah. And I think that brings us to essentially the paper that you published last year in the American Journal of Human Genetics. Um, this one for our listeners is called predictive utility of polygenic risk scores for coronary heart disease in three major racial and ethnic groups. And so in this article, you, you looked at polygenic risk scores across these three groups and, and actually saw some differences. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how this paper came together? What were some of the major questions that, that you were thinking about that led up to your study? So when I first started this project, I think it was about uh, late 2018, where we had those major papers with, uh, you know, uh, demonstrating a high performance using positive risk scores to, to predict cardiovascular disease, uh, both uh, by two different groups. I think one of them was in, in Nature Genetics, looking at a variety of diseases. Uh, using millions of SNPs, and the other one was specifically for cardiovascular disease. But uh, it, it's no surprise to anyone in, in, in the field of genomics that majority of all of these analyses uh, and researches is mostly done in, in individuals of European ancestry. If you go out or if you look at all the data sets, uh, you will find really small amount of minority groups uh, in non-European ancestry individuals. Uh, and I myself, I'm uh, I'm also considered uh, an admixture of half percent, fifty uh, percent European ancestry, and then the other fifty percent, you know, from Middle East. I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey, and uh, and you know, even in the U.S., in, in also in other countries, we have a lot of individuals that have a, a mixture of different ancestry groups, and uh, and a lot of individuals that are just have very low percentage of European ancestry, and. It, it, it just brings the question, all the advances that we've been making in both the genetic epidemiology and creating uh, translation tools such as positive risk scores, how much of that knowledge can be really translated to, to other ancestry groups? So that was kind of the origin of that story, to, to take these positive risk scores that seem to be performing really good, identifying at the tails of the distribution a risk that's equivalent to having a monogenic mutation leading to early onset heart disease, colorectal cancer, and all of that. So how much of this really holds true if we use the same tool uh, in other ancestry groups? So, so we basically took those scores uh, and, and brought everything to a 
to a diverse set of individuals in one of the NHGRI-funded consortiums, uh, Electronic Medical Records and Genomics Network, and applied, and uh, those were the results that we published, seeing that this predictive utility really dips down, especially in African ancestry individuals um, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, in the Hispanic ethnicity group, it was, it was similar, but now with other studies as well, we see that that really depends on the, the amount of European admixture. So there's a lot of room for improvement uh, before we take anything like this to clinic and how can we really benefit all individuals that are part of our communities uh, uh, to, with the same uh, knowledge and same performance in these diagnostic tools uh, in the future. Did you think the results that you got, they were what you expected, or? Uh, I would say they were expected, but with, uh, with one interesting difference is that we actually looked at a few different positive risk scores in that paper. Uh, two of them were, were more of what we had initially uh, when we had the, the definition of a poly polygenic risk score with only genome-wide significant uh, SNPs, which would be a handful of SNPs, maybe 40 or 50 SNPs. Uh, and then we also looked at the scores that were published in that late uh, 2018 period or, or early 2019, which used millions of SNPs uh, across the genome. And those performed actually much better than what we would see with the other PRS. So, uh, which uh, kind of led to other questions and insights in the sense that uh, even though we have limited uh, sample size or uh, limited data sets in non-European ancestry individuals, there could still be improvement uh, by applying different methodology and novel um, tools or, or way of thinking to the existing data sets to still uh, transfer uh, a, a uh, what we have to a higher performance uh, as opposed to what we initially used as, as polygenic risk scores, which was really limited to a handful of SNPs. So when you're, when you're doing this research, did you, did you run into any you know, really big challenges as sort of, you know, became a big obstacle to sort of overcome and sort of maybe choosing the right score or looking in the correct populations to sort of see the types of effects that you wanted to see? Uh, I, I guess the, the major challenge uh, for us was that we, we were really limited to uh, to African ancestry and Hispanic ethnicity. For example, we had very limited Asian ancestry individuals. We could not look at that. We did not have any, any South Asian ancestry individuals. So we originally, we really wanted to uh, be as diverse as possible. But that, that was a challenge because this is the inherent challenge in our field, that we, like that data is really limited. It actually does not exist. I mean, now slowly it's, it's improving, but that was one of the major challenges. Choosing the scores at the time was not much of a question because uh, those papers had just come out and uh, they were just kind of one of a kind at the time. So that was more of a straightforward choice, but uh, also some inherent challenges with the electronic health record related research. Uh, ascertaining the events as as accurate as possible, uh, we had to develop an algorithm that we also described in the paper to to be as accurate as possible when we define our, our endpoint of coronary heart disease. So I, I think those are some general challenges, but uh, those are still the challenges that we face even today, uh, almost you know two two three two or three years after I started that project. We're you know as far as expanding it, we still face the same challenges. And I think there's a lot of challenges coming up 
in the field as well. So what are you thinking about now? Like what, what sort of research projects are you, are you taking on? What are the follow-ups? So as far as the follow-up, we've actually uh, now uh, the lab that I've worked in with, uh, with Dr. Iftikhar Klu uh, at Mayo Clinic, now we're part of uh, the, the fourth phase of uh, eMERGE Consortium. Uh, and the consortium's main goal is to, to develop uh, polygenic risk scores in diverse ancestry groups to validate them and, and then uh, return the results in the clinic and uh, you know, look at the, the outcomes uh, and, and how it affects uh, um, the shared decision-making uh, and the perspectives of uh, patients and physicians alike. So to this end, uh, we have actually uh, been trying to develop a transethnic polygenic risk scores, including as, as much diverse ancestries as we can, and validated and evaluated in the performance. Uh, we've been collaborating with other consortiums as well, uh, such as the Million Veteran Program, uh, and some of the other consortiums, we have uh, collected a lot of data from the NHLBI-funded uh, studies that are diverse in, in non-European ancestry individuals, such as Eric, Mesa, uh, Cardiovascular Health Study, uh, PAGE, uh, and similar consortiums, just to build uh, a large base for both developing a score and, and validating it. So what do you think about the long-term use of trying to use a polygenic risk score within the clinic? I think the, the most important part is, first of all, to, to have a score that, that would have similar performance in, in different ancestry groups that's not going to be useful in, in a select group of individuals and not be really that useful in, in other ancestry groups. I think that that's very crucial to bring it into the clinic. And the second part is, is really incorporating that score into the existing clinical risk factors and have something that's an improvement on top of all EC, usually with just the clinical score alone. And that score should be also well calibrated so that it's not going to underestimate or, 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 or overestimate the risk in patients, which would not lead to optimal medical care. Uh, and we would need a lot of prospective studies to, to demonstrate the utility of the score and justify its use in the clinic. I think these, these are very important points. So what's next for you? What's next for me? <laughs> so this is this is a good question. I think my, my research uh, will a little slow down uh, for maybe a year or a year and a half because I'm just transitioning to to my position in, in the internal medicine residency program uh, at, at Mayo Clinic, uh, and I'll be heavily focused on uh, in uh, in the clinical medicine uh, for now. Uh, I'll still be collaborating with with my uh, with my lab. Uh, but for now, I'll be mostly involved in, in the patient care and developing my skills in that aspect. So what do you think the future holds for the field of genetics and genomics? I, I think the, the future is extremely bright, uh, looking at new studies, uh, looking gene, using gene therapy, and the advances that we made with, with the discovery of novel risk factors. Uh, I feel that the field of genomics will power uh, everything ranging from therapy to diagnostics to the discovery of, of new risk factors, and it will contribute greatly to our understanding of how disease evolves. Um, and I, I'm, I think it's, it's a privilege uh, for me to be in this field, and I, I hope to build my own research as well uh, going forward in this direction. 
after I after I complete my clinical training uh, to really go in this direction, have my own research program as well dedicated to cardiovascular genomics. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I think this concludes um, today's interview um, with Dr. Ozan uh, Dekelitosh, and uh, we'll see you next time.